This is Nels Davis, and you're listening to All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, episode number 56. This is a podcast for product managers and innovators, entrepreneurs and marketers, to help you get more value to market faster. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it, and I hope you find a lot of value in this show and all the episodes. Now, regular listeners will remember way back to the last episode, number 55, when I interviewed Greg Prickroll about the challenges for product managers with managing their careers and his new venture, Career.pm, which helps product managers address that challenge. Well, Greg posted an intriguing article this last week that happens to be related to the topic of today's episode and, of course, ties back into product management careers as well. In his article, Building the Perfect Product Manager, Greg lays out a framework of four building blocks that contribute to effective product management, the first being technical knowledge, which is things like architecture and technology trends and development methodologies. Then he lists product management competency. This is basically the skills of product management, things like discovery, product lifecycle, release planning, market research. He then says domain expertise. This is really knowing something about the domain of the product that you're in. Now, I think there is some argument about how important domain expertise is. Sometimes you actually want to bring a new product manager in who doesn't really know the domain because then that person doesn't really have the constraints on his or her thinking that somebody with a lot of expertise in the domain might have. But then we get to the fourth point, which is the topic of this episode, which is soft skills. Things like time management, leadership, decision-making, negotiation, communication, and there's lots more. Now, what I like most about this model is that unlike a lot of other models about what makes a good product manager, it includes these soft skills. That's actually kind of unusual. Now, the idea of soft skills being a core foundation of a great product manager may be particularly challenging for our colleagues who enter the profession from the engineering side. And this is both because from the engineering side, they really didn't need as many soft skills or need them as strongly in their previous roles, but also because there's kind of a sense in which developers often consider themselves and valorize to be above emotion and and sort of squishy stuff like soft skills. Maybe they're more thinking of themselves as being really logical. And so that can be a handicap when the fact is that you really need to have these soft skills to be successful as a product manager. Now, I would add a few items to the list of soft skills. I gave a few from the Greg Prickrell article, but things like persuasion, storytelling, empathy. Now, you might wonder if empathy is really a soft skill. I'm not sure, but you definitely need it to be successful as a product manager. Now, I had been thinking about doing an episode about soft skills, and Greg's article got me off the dime on this. So let's start out by talking about what is a soft skill anyway. Well, one definition is it's personal attributes that enable someone to interact effectively and harmoniously with other people. So it's really, there's a, there's a people aspect to soft skills or to a lot of them. There's a Wikipedia article on soft skills. It starts with this much longer passage. Soft skills are a combination of people skills, social skills, communication skills, character or personality traits, attitudes, career attributes, social intelligence, and emotional intelligence quotients, among others, that enable people to navigate their environment work well with others, perform well, and achieve their goals with complementary hard skills. The Collins English Dictionary, this is still from the Wikipedia article, defines the term soft skills as desirable qualities for certain forms of employment that do not depend on acquired knowledge. They include common sense, the ability to deal with people, and a positive, flexible attitude. Okay, so that's a lot. 
there could be dozens of traits and skills and attitudes that help people navigate their environment, work well with others, etc. Luckily, the Wikipedia article also lists out a set of 10 soft skills that they kind of consider the top 10 soft skills for business executives based on some research or something or other. And they are communication, which includes things like oral speaking capability, written speaking, written communication, presenting, listening, clear speech and writing, goes on and on, of course. Second one, courtesy, manners like etiquette, business etiquette, being gracious, saying please and thank you. That's a soft skill, as it turns out. Being respectful. Number three is flexibility, which is related to adaptability, being willing to change, being a lifelong learner. Integrity, interpersonal skills, positive attitude, professionalism, responsibility, teamwork. You can, of course, go to the Wikipedia article to see more details on those uh, nine. And I left out work ethic, which is the tenth one in the list. So hardworking, willing to work, loyal, taking initiative, being self-motivated, etc. So that is one list of the most important skills for business executives. Of course, there are many such lists, and I'll put a few of them in the show notes. Now, I've been doing a lot of reading from Wikipedia so far. How do we tie this back to product management? So I thought, well, what are the most important soft skills for product managers? Because sort of, let's there's a top 10 list. I just read that. What about a top five list? <laughs> now, these that I'm going to share the top this set of top five, I've taken them from another list of soft skills that I'll also share in the show notes at alltheresponsibility.com slash 56. But I sort of thought this was maybe the most important five from the standpoint of product management. Trust building, super important. Now that wasn't on one of the other lists, but it's related to all of these interpersonal skills. But one of the things that we most need as product managers because of the fact that we lead through influence is we have to gain the trust or build the trust with the rest of the folks in the organization. And this isn't just with the development people that we work with, but with the executives that we work with, and of course with prospects and customers. In fact, in a lot of sales situations where product management is brought in, we are brought in because we are trustworthy, because they consider the product management, the product manager to be the trustworthy party and maybe the only person they can trust from the company because they know that the salesperson is maybe not as trustworthy because they're more motivated to make the sale, whereas maybe product management is considered to be more motivated to tell the truth in some sense. Of course, these are all relative terms and things, but trust building, very important for product managers. Conflict management. It's a constant in what we do. We have to resolve all kinds of conflicts all the time. There's lots of conflicts about what should be worked on, what should be prioritized. Of course, this ties into decision-making as well, which is another really critical soft skill for product managers. But conflict can go way beyond prioritization. It can go into disagreements about how something should be implemented or disagreements about the relative importance of two different features that where the executives are arguing and you need to man manage that conflict, things like that. So, of course, the other side of that is, of course, that we have to do influencing. Our fundamental thing that we do is we influence people because we can't tell people what to do. We have to. We can only ask people to do things, really. We can only request that our or we can only request of our developers that, that they build something. We can't order them to build something. Now, of course, if we're doing our job correctly, they might even treat that as an order. 
But the reality is we don't have the power to tell them what to do. We have the power to request something, and then they will agree to do it if we are good at our jobs. And then the final of the top five, I would say, is motivation. We have to be good at motivating people to take action. This really applies to our developers, but it also applies to when we want our salespeople to sell our new product, particularly if they have other products that they could be selling. We have to be really good at convincing them to sell our product instead or in addition or put take it out of their bag occasionally and show it to customers. And, of course, we also help the salespeople understand how to motivate prospects to buy. So there's a whole aspect of our job which is indirect. We have to motivate the sales force to do a good job of motivating prospects to buy our solution. Now, there's some other sort of obvious soft skills that you might think of as runner-ups. And they're, they're very important, and they're, they're kind of maybe more important for other business people than product managers. They're not quite as specific to product management in particular. Things like leadership and negotiation and coaching and team building. So leadership is probably the biggest one for product managers in the runners-up category. But because of the way that we do our work, a lot of what we do in leadership is maybe more subsumed under the topics of influence and decision-making and conflict management. In terms of negotiation, again, we do the conflict management and we do influence and trust building. It gives you a lot of stuff that's related to kind of negotiating things. Negotiating, I just made up that word, negotiating. Um, you know, in some ways, we are going to be, because of the fact that we've built trust and we've got our team and we know how to influence, people are going to do things, do it because I said to do it. But in a nice way, of course, we say that. And the team actually does it because the product managers created trust and exercised influence. And we don't necessarily get into that big thing of, well, it, that's a common thing in negotiation. Well, let me, I'm going to give you a little and I'm going to get a little. That is less common in product management, I believe. Maybe certain product managers have to do that kind of uh, give and get kind of thing. But it's less common, at least in my experience, as the way that we get things done. So I did want to mention sort of why are these soft skills so important for product managers. I've kind of alluded to this already. One of them, of course, is that we don't have authority. We can't order people to do things. So we have to persuade them. And to do that, we have to use our soft skills to do that. And all the soft skills that I mentioned, the trust building and the influence and the decision making and the conflict management. The other thing is that the reality is that decisions are not made rationally in any case. So we could have all the hard skills in the world. We could be the most logical people in the world. But to help make our decisions, to help ourselves make decisions, to help get other people on board with our decisions, we have to use these emotional, more emotionally oriented soft skills to get people to, to get aligned with us and things like that. So, you know, I'm not making this up. This is according to science. Science has found these things that, that – Really, there's a big emotional component to making decisions and to getting people to come along, and that is the domain of soft skills. So I also tried to look at our various product management activities and to map out the soft skills that are required in each one. Now, thinking of the big picture, you know, I often say that what we do as product managers is we find market problems, we create solutions to those problems, and then we take the solutions to market. So how do soft skills apply to these different activities? And of course... There's really lots of different things we do in the process of these activities, but those are, the, those are sort of the big picture. So let's think about first the first step of finding market problems. 
it's, it's sort of interesting. We're doing a lot of talking to people, but in fact, we often need to tone down our soft skills at this point. In fact, we really need to apply our hard skills of interviewing, of asking open-ended questions, and of guiding a conversation. If you look at the, the, hard, the definition of hard skills, a lot of what we're doing in the discovery process is really very hard skilly. It's interviewing, asking open-ended questions, and so on. And in fact, you want to suppress the use of some of your soft skills when doing discovery. You don't want to lead. You don't want to negotiate or to influence in the course of doing discovery. You might do a little bit of guiding and coaching. Those are some other soft skills. You want to listen in an active way. That's sort of a, a communication skill. But when you're guiding the conversation, you're really trying to just try to keep your informant talking and to keep them roughly within the bounds of what you want to hear about. Now, oftentimes you actually want to let the conversation go outside of those bounds because you might find learn about new interesting problems. But you definitely don't want to lead them to a specific conclusion when doing discovery. You don't want to try to persuade them of something. You're not trying to sell. You're just trying to listen. So discovery is interesting. It's a special case almost amongst the things that we do as product managers. You do want to exercise your empathy, your listening skills, your discovery hard skills. So I'm going to say that discovery is a, is a hard skill kind of thing. It's not actually that much of a soft skill thing. There are specific techniques for doing it, and you can learn them, and you can get better at them. So let's move on to the next step of the process, which is building a solution to the problem we find during market discovery. Well, first of all, we have to decide which of the many problems that we found is the one we're going to solve, and that's a decision-making and prioritization decision. You know, often we, we do shorthand that as prioritization, but in most cases it's a lot more than simply stack-ranking a list of things we could do based on their value or something like that. I mean, it's a convenient metaphor but it's not really how we decide what to build. This is because the set of things we have to decide between, as well as our criteria for deciding amongst them, are incredibly heterogeneous. All of these items tend to be of different sizes. It can include bugs, it can include giant features, it can include small features, a whole new module, things like that. It also includes all kinds of different levels of risk, important to different stakeholders, with more or less payback and competitive value and so on. So all of these different dimensions that we have to sort of keep in mind. And we have to balance all those different criteria to come up with a plan for delivering value to the market, that is solving a problem the market has and for which they'll pay for a solution. And it has to be achievable with our resources and our skills and our capacity. So that's a big challenge and it's one of the big, it's probably the biggest one for product managers after finding good market problems. So decision-making in the context of great uncertainty, that is a soft skill. And so is getting the buy-in on that decision from all the stakeholders. You have to, once you've made that decision about what to build, and you, of course, you usually do it in consultation with your team and your management, but you then have to get, get everybody on board and keep them on board and then motivated to work on the stuff. Now, sometimes it's easy to motivate the team to build it once you've come up with the, what you want to build. If it's a cool new feature with a jazzy new UI framework, for example, but Often, the most important stuff turns out to be not that sexy, especially from the development point of view. So, for example, right now, my team is working on automating some back-end stuff. It's important, but it has no UI, and it won't even really have a big impact on customers until we finish all the components of the project in about a year. So this is one of those very deferred gratification kinds of things to work on. But it means I get to use my motivation and influence soft skills very heavily in the meantime. 
The work itself is not intrinsically exciting, yet it must be done, so I get to use a lot of motivation. Now, of course, during the process of building the solution, there continues to be lots of use of my decision-making skills, conflict management skills, influence and persuasion, and so on. So soft skills are going to be heavily used in this process. And then, of course, when we go to market, well, that's going to take a lot of motivational skills again. I talked about motivating the sales force to sell my stuff. And, of course, what I want to give them, the tools that I give them are really soft skills kind of tools to help motivate the prospects to buy. Now, to get the sales force excited about this thing that I just mentioned that I'm working on this year, um, I'm probably not even going to try to motivate them much about it in the, in the near term because really it mostly becomes very important at, by the end of the year when all of the pieces are automated, and that's actually going to make the pace of a particular step in the course of onboarding in our product, it's going to be roughly 10 times faster. Well, 10 times faster is pretty interesting to everybody. And that will be noticeable, it'll be valuable to customers, it'll be worth talking about at that point. And it also will be opening the doors to some new sort of transformational capabilities in the product. That's often what happens when you get a factor of 10 improvement in some area. You can start thinking about doing new things with your product or things in new ways. You know, if we play our cards right, we'll be able to substantially change a very important and time-consuming step in using our product shortening it significantly, obviously by a factor of 10 or more, and providing a lot more value in the process by adding knowledge, as I've talked about in previous podcast episodes, I'll put some links in the show notes, and just in generally by changing the changing some of the market segments we can attack. There's a whole lot of things that we can do when we achieve this automation that I'm working on. And of course, all of that is going to be involved in, well, I used all of that when I was convincing people that we should do this work, for one thing. But then once we get to that point, I will have to use a lot of soft skills and persuasion again to make sure that we follow up on the work and take advantage of it by creating these new offerings or whatever we're going to do when we get to that point. So I think there's an interesting question in all this discussion about soft skills, now that we've done this little exercise. What about my hard skills? Where did I use my hard skills in this process? Because it sounds like a lot of what I was doing was just using my soft skills. Well, obviously in discovery, that is a hard skill. I use some of my soft skills, some of my personality and things, but primarily discovery is based on hard skills, like how to interview, how to come up with good interview questions. It's kind of like journalism in some sense. You can actually, of course, get a degree in journalism. You can learn these things, and soft skills are applicable, but it's really a hard skill situation. Now, we also know that product managers always have to be somewhat technical, right? I'd say there's two or three specific places where I use my technical skills as a product manager. First of all, understanding what can be automated. And this goes back to the list of technical skills that I mentioned from Greg Prickrell's foundations. Things like knowing about technological technological uh, themes, things that are coming up, knowing what technologies are out there and, and what we can should be capable of, what we can consider ourselves capable of. So I use these hard skills of knowledge about technology when I'm thinking about how we might solve the market problems we've discovered. Obviously, I do this in conjunction with my engineering team as well. Another thing that I use my technical skills for is helping the technical team map from the problem space to the solution space. Now, they're obviously the experts in problem solving, but sometimes they need help 
with thinking about constraints or coming up with an initial idea. And so I often consider this my crappy design step. I'm a terrible designer. I don't know any, I don't know enough technology to be a good technical designer, and I'm a really bad UI designer as well. So what I will often do, though, is sketch out something that is really bad that sort of maybe solves a lot of the problem in a very basic and dumb way. And then that lets the team start from a certain point to come up with actual good designs. I talk about this technique in an article called The Simplest Thing That Could Possibly Work, which, again, I'll link to. But this is sort of the extent of how I apply my actual technical skills. I will occasionally put some pseudocode, very pseudo, into a story or something like that, or you know, sort of to, to say, this is how I think this probably should work. I'm often wrong. But I think, again, it gives the dev team something to push against. I certainly never would give, consider at all giving people code um, for any kind of problem. Uh, not even real pseudocode, just very, very high-level things about how something might flow. So the other th final thing is that I often help my team think outside their conceptual box, while at the same time keeping some design constraints in mind, especially around corner cases and special cases, which we can often avoid handling with clever design and conversations with the product manager to agree that we don't need to handle some corner cases. In fact, it's one of the best ways to reduce the cost of implementing a feature or, or something like that, which is to know which corner cases you don't have to deal with or which ones you can stub off. So you might also think that I apply my analytical hard skills to these situations as well. I am very skilled in mathematics and arithmetic and things like that. But for most of what I do, I really think of it more as a numeracy soft skill. I use this word numeracy, meaning kind of like literacy. I kind of understand numbers, and I can, in my head or sort of in a soft skill kind of way, think about the trade-offs between numbers. You know, for most of what we're doing as product managers, we're trying to predict the future with very low levels of uncertainty about anything we're doing, or very low levels of certainty about anything we're doing. And so that is we're making really making a lot of educated guesses, and we can use data to help us be educated, but they're really still educated guesses. And so you don't really need to apply lots of mathematics to these situations, typically. You have to apply numeracy. You have to say, oh, are we directionally going to be going the right way? Is this going to be a 10% improvement or a 50% improvement or a 200% improvement? You, it may be a 13% or it may be 57 or it may be 173 in reality, when you get done at the end, but it's good to know in advance is it which is the order of magnitude of the of the improvement. Just as an example, and that's really about numeracy, and I kind of consider that to be a soft skill because it's done very much not analytically, and it's something that you really have to cultivate in yourself as a way of thinking. So numeracy doesn't often show up on lists of soft skills, but to me, it's part of the constellation of capabilities related to communication, and that's the other big place where you can use numeracy like I just did, is to talk about kind of ranges of things. And so I mentioned that that this improvement that we're doing in my process that I'm automating, that it's going to be 10 times faster. Well, it's going to be more than 10 times faster, probably. It might not quite be 100 times faster. It could almost be 100 times faster. We don't really know the, the final outcome, and I don't want to overpromise. It's going to be a lot faster. It's going to be noticeably faster. I mean, there's going to be a you're going to de definitely feel the increase in speed as a user and as somebody working with the, with the software. Um, but I don't know exactly what it is. But if I say that it's going to be 10 times faster, that is enough for me to make the sale, basically, 
that we should actually do this project, even though it might actually be 100 times faster. So that's why I say numeracy is kind of a soft skill. So I've gone on to all these things. Let's talk about what you can do today to maybe apply some of these ideas. So the first thing I think it is makes a lot of sense to start learning about soft skills, kind of familiarize yourself with the list. That's the first step. And I'll put a few different resources on soft skills in the show notes. You can also refer to the list of characteristics I shared in the chapter of what makes a good product manager in my book, which is called the Secret Product Manager Handbook. Link to that book in the show notes if you want to buy that. The Also, I will put the links into the Wikipedia article and to the Greg Prickrell article that I mentioned. So lots of different lists of soft skills that you can refer to. So then I think you should do two assessments. One of them is what soft skills are most important in your situation. And it may be that list of five top five soft skills I mentioned earlier, and it may be some other ones. Then you want to think about the second assessment is which ones are you strong in? Think about your personal situation and consider which soft skills are most important. I would focus on perhaps the top five needed for the situation. Assess yourself on those skills. Which are you strong in? Which could you be stronger in? For example, if you figure out that political and cultural awareness is an important soft skill for your current situation, and that can happen in a lot of different jobs where you need to really be politically aware and, and skilled, but you aren't as strong in politics as you need to be, then, then it's time to go do some woodshedding. It's time to get a book on how to operate politically or find an online course or get a mentor or even just do some Googling and learn some of the basic techniques for dealing with politics in the organization. Now, another way to assess yourself that's easy and expensive and fairly effective is the Clifton Strengths Finder. Now, the Clifton Strengths don't map precisely to the list of soft skills, but there's a big overlap, and they're definitely related. And knowing your strengths will give you insights in how to apply and improve your soft skills. Now, when I say the word strengths in this little section, I'm talking specifically about the Clifton Strengths. Uh, there's 34 of them, and you do this little online. You, you buy the book, you get a code that allows you to do an online test, and they give you your top five strengths, which I think is really interesting and valuable. I recommend going out and buying the book, and you can buy it on Amazon or your, for your Kindle if you like, and then doing the test. And then I'd recommend, once you find your top strengths, listen to Lisa Cummings' Lead Through Strengths podcast episodes about career branding when your strength is X for your various strengths. So it's a really great set of podcasts that this woman, Lisa Cummings, has done about how to think about making use of your top five Clifton strengths. So FYI, my top five strengths are ideation, adaptability, input, connectedness, and positivity. So it turns out I'm a creative who likes to read a lot and work with people, and I always think the best of and find the best in people and situations. That's, those are my strengths. I have other strengths. There's 34. The, the ones that are down at the bottom of the list, I'm not as strong in. And, it, and it's very obvious if you look at that list and you say, oh, yeah, those are things you don't do very well the ones down at the bottom of the list for me. So one thing that's interesting about your strengths is you might not even think of them as strengths. This is actually very common. They Because they just seem normal to you or they seem regular. And you probably kind of even assume that everybody is like you and sort of has these same capabilities. The fact is, not only is this a very common perception, it's not actually true. In fact, one of my favorite phrases is, your obvious is your art. And it has to do with your strengths and natural talents. The things that come easy to you 
probably don't come easy to other people. And they're often what sets you apart from others in a competitive sense, either individually or when you combine them. And while the areas where you are less strong, and you're always less strong in some areas, may seem far more important to you because you don't have them, to others, you seem to have the most important strengths, and they feel like they have the less important ones. So it's this very funny thing where we perceive ourselves a little bit badly. We don't see our own strengths typically. We see the strengths of others, and of course, they're looking at you feeling the same way. So at this point, you have figured out the strengths you've and the most important soft skills for your situation. So you know where you are. You know what soft skills are important for your job and you know your strengths. Now ride that pony. For soft skills in which you're already strong, make sure you're taking advantage of opportunities or even creating opportunities to use them. After all, your strengths are your strengths. In some real sense, they're why you're here. They're most likely part of the selection criteria that got you where you are today. Now, we often spend a lot of time, both as individuals and as organizations, trying to focus on making our weaknesses less weak. And to some degree, this is really important. There's no question about that. But if it's done at the expense of actually creating value using our strengths, it's probably a bad trade-off. Now, this is a little bit like the law of comparative advantage from economics, which says roughly, it's much better use of your resources to specialize in the things that you're best at, that is your strengths, and use a means of exchange to get the things that you are not best at doing. Now, this works among national economies and city economies. It also works among people and soft skills in the organization. In other words, because your weaknesses are likely to be somebody else's strengths and vice versa, ideally you can collaborate with others, and then the sum of your efforts will be much greater than either of you could individually accomplish, right? Because if you have to use both your your strengths and your weaknesses to get something done, the thing that, you, that you're weak at is going to take a lot of time and you're not going to do that good a job. Whereas the other person is doing something that you have strength in doing, but that's their weakness and they're not going to do that good a job. Whereas if you were to collaborate, you would be focusing your strengths on the stuff that needed to be done with that with the strengths. They'd be focusing their strengths on the things that needed to be done with their strengths. And you'd end up with a much, much more done and probably done better, and probably done a lot faster. And that's just all good. So I'll put a link to the write-up of the Law of Comparative Advantage in the show notes so you can learn a little bit more about this. It's one of the most interesting, I think, one of the most interesting economic laws that's out there. So I have to say, now that we're at the end, that episode went a little bit all over the place, but I think we arrived at a good and useful destination. Make sure you know your strengths and which soft skills you're good at which soft skills you need in the organization, and make sure you use them. And while you can spend some time on strengthening your weak areas, it's often more efficient and much more effective to collaborate with others who have complementary strengths. If you would be interested in learning more about how to help your team or yourself develop the critical soft skills for product management, you can schedule a free call with me at alltheresponsibility.com coaching. I can help you and your team accelerate your product management effectiveness through coaching workshops and other engagements if you'd like to do that i mentioned several resources books and previous podcasts in this episode and of course you can find links to all of them in the show notes at all the slash 56 you'll also find links to subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher google play spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts 
The great benefit of subscribing, of course, is that you automatically get new episodes when I release them. It's usually about once a week on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, depending on how the weekend went. Last week didn't go that well. Actually, what happened was my computer was broken, and so I, it caused everything to get messed up. Anyway, you can help others find the podcast if you think that's a good thing by rating and reviewing it on iTunes or clicking the recommend button in your podcast player of choice. There's a link you can click to review the podcast quickly and easily on a new site called Rate This Podcast. And you can rate my show there if you'd like. Your recommendations, rating, and reviews help other product managers and innovators find the podcast. So it really helps me out and spreads the word and hopefully helps create more value in the world. There's even more on the show notes page. I didn't even list it all. How to get in touch with me, a comment section. I'd love to hear from you. And a link to my book, as I mentioned, and a lot more. So this has been episode number 56 of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority. Thanks for listening, and until the next episode, this is Nels Davis. Bye-bye.